This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us for our latest podcast. It's been a much quieter week to this point. It is the final week, final full week before the Christmas holiday. Um, To this point, no major trades or moves involving the Rays. Uh, There are no virtual winter meetings this week. Uh, The only move of note involving a former Ray was Hunter Renfro staying in division with the Boston Red Sox. And all the managers throughout Major League Baseball are doing media sessions during the course of this week. Uh, as they would actually during the normal winter meetings. But nothing really earth-shattering coming out of that. We do have a lot, though, on the podcast today. Uh, in a little bit, we'll chat with Carlos Rodriguez, a race vice president, uh, about the upcoming international signing period after the new year, and also how perhaps the race may change how they develop minor league players based on the new rules or the reduction in teams, how that may change uh, the race system. Obviously, the Rays have arguably the best system in all of uh, Major League Baseball over the last several years. Uh, We're also going to have a chat in a bit with Dietrich Enns. You know, he's someone I neglected to mention on a previous blog about potential bulk or starting pitchers, but I certainly do believe, uh, now that we've gotten through the Rule 5 draft, that he's a guy who will uh, potentially make some noise in the 2021 season, and you'll hear a little bit about his story. And speaking of stories... Uh, what a great story it is, what Xavier Edwards is doing, one of the Rays' uh, top position player prospects uh, right around the holidays. We'll chat with him a little bit about that and his development during the course of this unique year. But we start with Carlos Rodriguez and uh, begin with the changes in the minor league system and how that potentially could impact Tampa Bay. Hey, Neil. Great to be here, as always. Uh, yeah, we spent a lot of time during the entire process and, and even this year, which unfortunately was wiped out, just looking at uh, at some of the potential impacts of, of any of the changes that took place as more information began to trickle in and it's still trickling in as we speak in terms of the schedule and the leagues and roster sizes, et cetera. But there's a few things that were made clear uh, in terms of what the priorities were uh, for this new agreement, the quality of the facilities for the players, the travel uh, with regards to location, uh, the weather, you know, for us was something that we really tried to take into consideration. And then just the the agreements themselves, like trying to create some type of stability between the partners. We've been pretty fortunate with the setup that we've Mm -hmm. had over the last few years, as you know, with the continuity that we've had with our partners and as we took a fresh look at this, the North Star for us was trying to enhance the player experience. And so that is sort of what we've taken a look at primarily. And a lot of this was looking at skill development, looking at uh, trying to put uh, players in positions to onboard them, 
in a way that uh, gives us more flexibility and, and more create you know allows us to be more creative with with the onboarding process with the skill development process as we learn and understand more about workload management it certainly pr uh, provides some flexibility to be able to manage that as well uh, in, in including the transitions that uh, players are making from the short season to the long season so it's a long way of saying that, yeah, we spent a considerable amount of time thinking uh, and working through this. And it's still a very live uh, dialogue and discussion that we have uh, not only as a front office, but a, a lot of it with our player development leadership, our coaches, our staff and things that we even uh, solicit feedback, uh, you know, from players on in terms of their own experiences. Carlos, here's a concern from an outsider looking in. You know, you guys have had situations where guys have repeated levels. Um, Blake Snell did that at Bowling Green from one year to the next. Um, Matt Moore had to do that at Princeton when he was coming up. Does it make it more difficult for guys to have to repeat with fewer players and fewer teams? You're right about all those, all of, you know, all of the above that, that you mentioned. It's not clear yet. Uh, the one constant in life is change, and as as we, we continue to see like the, the 40, you know, players drafted and the, you know, 25 to 30 ish players on the international front signed, plus the, some of the free agent signs or any of the, of the new players that we're acquiring. It's there's definitely a pressure from the back in terms of the players coming into the organization and uh, just a limit on roster spots. And so certainly there is you know, one of the new challenges we're going to have to face is how to, in a situation with the, with the Blake Snell or with the Matt Moore, uh, we're going to have to figure out what's the best course of action for those players. The one thing I can say is with, with this complex league, it's going to likely look different than like a traditional just Gulf Coast uh, season or like a, or uh, an extended spring training. And I think it's up to all the teams to try to find really creative ways to replicate a lot of these things and so whether or not it leads to more players repeating levels or less players repeating levels is I think yet to be seen and it, it may uh, differ and depend from organization to organization but as you know like we have a very very talented system and so we're just going to do the best we can to make sure that we provide each and all you know each and every of these players opportunities to to develop at their own pace. Rightfully so. Um, and, you know, one of the things that you guys have also specialized in is strength in numbers. Um, you know, I look at a guy like Paul Campbell, who was just rule five, who was a third day pick, or Mike Brasso, a non-drafted free agent, or Tyler Zombro, or obviously Kevin Kiermaier, a 31st round pick. With the draft shortened, with less teams, it leads to slightly less numbers. Do you guys have to change your processes at all to make sure that you're maximizing less players into just as many big leaguers to some degree i would say maybe uh in terms of the player evaluation itself it's constantly evolving we're constantly trying to learn from each and every selection each and every player that we, we are developing what's what's going right and what's what can we improve on and with regards to to your your question a lot of it's going to be about how do we create opportunities for those players certainly it's it's uh, you know, Mikey Brasso as an undrafted free agent is going to be a, a real challenge, but not impossible. And so uh, our, our scouts, you know, our scouting staffs uh, have done a tremendous job of, of uh, finding talent for us, especially day three, uh, guys after the draft. 
And I think that, you know, that remains a strength for us going forward. And, and it's really up to us to try to figure out and be creative with how do, how do we still uh, maintain and, and, and create opportunities for some of these players to have, you know, to have a chance to, to, uh, to develop. Um, and so this is an ongoing thing. And I believe Major League Baseball is very aware and cognizant of this and how we, how we approach, um, how we approach the draft and how we approach just uh, player moves kind of in general is something we're going to, you know, take a, take a look at and, and we'll try to adjust as necessary, but certainly uh, something, a focus for us because it's been a strength. And, and because it's been a strength, you know, just in terms of the way you guys have dealt, developed players, will the hardest piece of this be the young player, whether it's the young player from Latin America, the high school draftee, deciding when they're ready to go from a complex to a full season situation? And, and does it become more complex without, let's say, Hudson Valley, which was almost like an in-between phase? That's a good question that I don't know that we know the answer to that. And it may depend from from uh, player to player. Uh, I, complex would probably not be the word I would use to describe it, but it's going to really depend on on the players that are, that are in front of – of the players coming over from the complex, as you mentioned, uh, certainly again, a lot of it is about opportunity and about the roster spots and about uh, making sure that our prospects are, are able to get at bats. Uh, you know, we have no shortage of, of shortstops in the organization and that's mm -hmm. been a, a very, you know, it's been a strategy that's proved to be very fruitful for us, but it does uh, present some challenges in terms of trying to, to get at bats for our prospects. And so, the one thing is with the competition, with the quality and the depth that we've had, it's it's usually sorted itself out, but it, it provides uh, a lot of really good competition. And there's nothing better than uh, good players competing for good players uh, or competing against good players uh, for some of these spots. And so that's going to be the same case for a lot of our young Latin players coming over from from you know from Latin America. So uh, there's definitely going to be. Um, you know, probably a level of preparedness that those guys will, will need to have to, to come over as the, as we've uh, done uh, to date. And we'll just try to figure out how to, how to replicate or even enhance uh, the development aspect, uh, you know, at the complex uh, level for them to really hit the ground running in a full season. And I was looking at that too, from the high school kid you may draft because a lot of times, okay, he may start at the Gulf coast in Princeton and then go to Hudson Valley and then go to Bowling Green you know, you've almost got to create a, a, a system where your Port Charlotte complex becomes really good at creating an environment because they're not playing in front of crowds where they can continue to grow until they're ready for that full season level. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. It, it really is about just creating an atmosphere where these guys are, are going to really flourish. And we believe that what it's what's existed in terms of at the complex level is there's probably a way to, to look at it um, to, to really enhance that, especially for the young high school player that's, you know, that, that they have 20, I don't know, 28 games in, or 24 games in their regular season or 20 games in their regular season, depending on where they're from. And, you know, with summer ball kind of behind that, and then really, you know, hit, you know, trying to hit the ground running to try to put themselves in a really good position to try to make a full season team. Uh, you know, either the, the, the year after or, you know, or the, or the year after that. And so 
the exciting part is the opportunities that we're going to have to be able to create this experience for the players and the flexibility that we hope that we're going to be able to have in terms of how we deploy, how we use this complex. And like I mentioned before, like the skill development aspect, uh, typically in the past, if, if you drafted a player and, you know, they basically had like a week of like mini camp uh, after they sign, they do their physical, they have like a week of mini camp and, in Port Charlotte, and then they maybe they go off to Princeton, and so they hit the, you know they kind of go right into it, and that's I mean that's been fun, and that's uh, that's provided a lot of uh, tremendous results for us, and I and I still believe that the game is the ultimate test, but now it, it provides you an opportunity to really you know you get a guy from high school, uh, and you're able to like really you know hone hone the swing or hone the delivery or really build like some, some strong foundational principles so that when the player uh, goes home for the off season, there's, you know, there's just this continuity of, of care that exists. And then once they come back, they're just in a much better position to try to, to, to make that full season and, and really kind of take off after that. So a lot of it is just the way that we, you know, what we do with it. Uh, and again, just the opportunities that, that may uh, be available to us. And while you figure all that out, you're also getting ready for the signing period for the international sign stretch, which normally was in July, but was moved to January. How much of that changed who you end up uh, eventually signing with the organization in January as compared to July? Did, did it give you more flexibility? What did it change? Well, it's certainly this, this entire year has just been so bizarre. And <laughs> so I don't have to tell you, but uh, it's, I don't know how much it's changed uh, in in terms of uh, I, I think definitely we've gotten a, a longer runway to see and evaluate some of the players, but that really up until uh, but re- really this is a, a, a recent uh, thing just because while things shut down in Latin America and internationally really uh, uh, around March, the same thing basically happened with a, a lot of the, the players that are looking to sign uh, in, that we're looking to sign in July and now in January. Uh, and that that could you know and that could be harmful in terms of like the the trajectory the development path that a lot of these guys were 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 going on or really just like the uh, the gaps in uh, of of looks and information you know I mean all thirty teams went a pretty long time without seeing certain uh, prospects that they were targeting and at least in pushing the date back and once uh, you know MLB allowed. Uh, in-person scouting and, and just augmenting that with a lot of the videos uh, videos that we've been able to to compile over time, it, it helps you kind of recalibrate and, and, and reassociate yourself with the marketplace, with those players, with, you know, and tries to try to fill in the gaps as, as best as you possibly can. So for us, it's, you know, and for us, definitely trying to keep an, an eye out on some of the, the, the players that we had targeted um, you know, prior to, you know, to things shutting down, but also allow some, some guys that maybe weren't even on the map to kind of pop up uh, towards the end uh, that otherwise, you know, may have uh, not been visible just because, you know, a, a lot of the focus and a lot of the, you know, a lot of the, the uh, strategy was geared towards, uh, you know, July 2nd. So um, again, with just like with anything else uh, COVID related or, or, um, you know, just related to, you know, kind of the, the situation that we're all in, we're going to uh, make the best out of, you know, out of this and, 
and working really hard to make sure that we end up with a really strong class uh, to uh, augment our system. Now, is the next class going to be in July, or are we now looking at January to January classes? I'm kind of curious how that's all going to work out, or is that unclear? Yeah, so for, um, for so the 2020 class, the signing date will be uh, in mid-January, so I believe it's January 15th. And so the the players that are are the, the players that are signed on that day or after will, you know, they'll be slated to, to, to play in the DSL just as they normally would have if they would have signed back in July. So uh, really like they would have missed the, you know, kind of like any uh, onboarding or, uh, you know, winter program that they otherwise would have participated in as a first year player. And so, you know, they would come on board uh, whenever they sign starting on uh, January 15th and, and beyond that. And, um, you know, and it'll be January to January through the following season as well. So um, there's a slight modification, obviously, like beyond 2021, we're not sure exactly what, you know, what the, uh, the structures is going to be, but uh, preparing for any and all of the scenarios and, and again, trying to put ourselves in the best position to end up with the top talent. Got it. I didn't know if you then had to, after January, then go out and sign another class in July of this year, that was, <laughs> which which certainly would be very different. Did, did because things were kind of put on pause, was it almost like college football recruiting where you got to keep a verbal in place for July until the January period to make sure if you want a guy that he's going to sign? And are other teams still kind of recruiting that player if he's, in essence, verbally said, hey, I'm going to go and, and be with the Rays? Or what's that been like? Yeah, I mean, it's been very strange to be honest with you i i don't know how to if to equate it to college football but basically um you know a, a lot of you know a lot of the players that um were targets you know you're you're trying to to keep you know keep uh you know really play catch up once things uh, started back up and and trying to to make sure that those players that you that you had interest in uh, are still <laughs> are still players that um, you know, that, that, uh, you know, that you remain interest, uh, you know, having interest in and in terms of, of recruiting and all that, you know, and all that, I mean, I think there's something to be said about, uh, trying to, you know, showcase your organization, you know, just like with, with any of these players, they have choices, they have choices in terms of where they end up. That's one of the, the really interesting things uh, about the international marketplace. And it's so different from us. So I think we're always constantly trying to showcase uh, the organization, the things that we do uh, well, and also just the opportunity that, that they'll receive. So um, we have a, a tremendous group, you know, that, that's, you know, that works the, the, the international market um, as well as the domestic market. But certainly uh, we have some pretty good recruiters as well that I, I think that they've, a lot of it's just because they live it, you know, they've, they've lived it and we have, you know, a, a veteran staff that has, has been doing this for a while. And, and um, I think they have, you know, pretty good reputation and pretty good relationships in place with a lot of the agents. And, and that's, that's been very fruitful because I think they know what they're going to get with us with regards to just the seriousness and the, the care of, of the player and, and hopefully just the overall process being, um, you know, as positive as possible. And did the pool of players for for this upcoming class grow? Meaning, if you turn sixteen in in September or October or November, does that mean you can be part of this class, or did you have to be sixteen on July, whatever? Yeah. So the eligibility dates basically stay the same. Okay. So what it does, yeah. So what it do, what it does is you actually get to see the 
the runway of the player a little longer before you sign them. So say, you know, typically, and, and, and a lot can happen between, as you know, like between, you know, mm-hmm. say you're like a, remember when you were in high school and you were like a sophomore in high school or a freshman in high school, uh, depending on, uh, on how old you were, just like the changes that you may see in a six month period, you may see players grow two inches or three inches, or maybe they say the same, maybe they put on, you know, 15 pounds of muscle or 20 pounds of muscle and, or maybe they're throwing five, five miles an hour harder. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of that, that we see typically with players, especially as you sign them and, and they, you know, really get professional instruction and nutrition and, and this, you know, kind of as they, as they come on board. And so it's allowed us to, to be able to follow players a little longer and, and maybe, you know, we see players instead of 88, 90, maybe they're 90 to 93 by the time they sign them following their trajectory, or maybe they're, they're the same and we just see like some changes in, in the body type. So uh, with with eligibility dates, um, those have stayed the same, but it has, like I said, provided a little longer runway to follow these prospects. Carlos, good stuff. I know you guys are going to have a busy few weeks in large part because of the international class. I'm sure we'll talk to you after it's done. Enjoy the holidays. Same to you, Neil. Thanks. Good stuff from Carlos Rodriguez on a number of fronts. Uh, One guy who I don't know that he needs a ton of development in the Rays minor league system right now is a guy with a really unique storyline in Dietrich Enns. He signed with the Rays during um, this odd 2020 season out of independent ball, and uh, we chatted a little bit about uh, what eventually got him signed by the Rays. Well, thanks, Neil, for having me on, first of all. And, um, it was uh, 2020 was has been quite the year um, to get signed by the Rays. Uh, you know, just one of the highest quality organizations uh, was was something that I, I I didn't expect going in after coming out of indie ball, but um, but was you know sure happy to jump at the opportunity and go right to the alternate site and you know you saw what they did um, in the postseason run and uh, going forward it's you know a great organization to be with. And you signed a, a multiple-year deal with him to be here for 2021. How did that come about, and why was that important? Um, yeah, so I was playing in, in indie ball in, in Joliet, Illinois. Um, they had a league together and uh, just kind of went there because it was close to home, um, was living with family and playing, and it was, it was going really well. I, was, I just wanted to get some innings under my belt this summer because, you know, everything was shut down, so I wanted to still – you know, stay in shape and everything. So, uh, but yeah, it was going really well. Um, and then Kevin Ibach with the Rays uh, saw me and, and, and signed me to a two-year deal. And um, I was just happy to jump at the opportunity to get back into pro ball. Cause at the beginning of the year, I was with the Seattle Mariners in spring training and then got released um, during May when they made a bunch of cuts uh, to players. So um, yeah, I was happy that uh, was able to go to Joliet and, and get an opportunity back in pro ball. You weren't only a player, though, in Joliet. You were drafted and the pitching coach under former major leaguer Scott Spezio. How did that come about, and what was it like to have to coach and pitch? Yeah, so um, that's kind of funny. Uh, so when they when they put the league together, they, they had a few guys um, with major league experience. Um, and when I got drafted, Scott called me up and said that he, he's not really – familiar with how to handle pitchers and they didn't have an extra pitching coach. They, they, they had Scott and Kevin Santiago, who was the hitting coach and uh, they needed some help with pitching. And they're like, well, you're the 
the most veteran guy and we trust you with your pitching knowledge. So you want to be our pitching coach as well as, you know, one of our pitchers. So I was like, um, sure. You know, like this could be an opportunity to, to do some coaching and, you know, just learn more about myself and more, more about these guys. And so I, I was the, yeah, I was the pitching coach and one of the pitchers on the team. So, uh, I had to take myself out a few times when I got to my pitch count. Um, but it was just kind of funny, you know, um, and it was really good experience being able to be the, the pitching coach and get to know a lot of those guys that are there and, you know, their, their careers are somewhere just getting started. So, um, it, uh, it was a good, uh, good opportunity and uh, a fun experience this summer. You didn't have an argument with yourself over whether to give you one more batter or not? <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I usually, I usually, uh, to make it easy on myself, I usually just set a, a pitch count and then, uh, whenever I hit the pitch count, then I was done. Um, just to kind of manage the workload. Your velocity ticked up. Uh, I remember when you were in the big leagues with the Twins and with the Yankees in their farm system, you were more 89, 92. All of a sudden, you were throwing 92, 95 with a, with a different pitch, a cutter, um, which certainly, I'm sure, interested Kevin Ibach in the Rays. What changed? Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, after the 2019 season, I was with uh, the San Diego Padres AAA uh, in El Paso, and it was kind of just an up-and-down year. Um, I, I went into the offseason, you know, needing, feeling like the need, I, like I needed to throw a little bit harder. Um, like I needed to make a little bit of an adjustment because uh, what I was doing just wasn't, wasn't really working. So um, kind of focused on the whole 2019 offseason and then during quarantine, uh, just trying to revamp my mechanics, be able to be a little more efficient with my lower half, um, create a just – um, a little more arm speed uh, more efficiently and not have to just use my arm, but use my legs and use my core. So I uh, worked with some guys in out in Pennsylvania, in, in Philadelphia at Baseball PDS, um, still working with them today. And, uh, you know, we just kind of started from the beginning and just went through how to use my, uh, my whole body more efficiently. And um, yeah, it's, you know, it's paying off and just getting better movement quality as well. Um, it was a, as another thing that I focused on just to, just to be healthier and be more efficient. Is that similar to like a driveline program for fans who may be unfamiliar? Is it involved weighted ball? What kind of things does it involve beyond just more efficiency of movement? It's, it's, there's some weighted balls, but it's not the priority or the the main focus it's a lot of just different throwing drills putting your body in athletic positions trying to be athletic during the throwing um program um we do like some you know quarterback drills um with the football and also with the baseball just to have a quick arm uh, quick arm action um using using my back hip to kind of create the movement so um there's there's a handful of different drills that we do and um they've 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 really uh worked out over the past year and, you know, continue to do that and, and see improvements. When did you start to see the velo change and how much do you think it's meant to you and, and how much has the cutter figured into that? You know, it wasn't, um, I saw a little bit in spring training in, uh, with the Mariners this, this year and in February, uh, you know, I saw a little bit tick, a tick up, but it wasn't like a drastic, um, like first, you know, like it was this summer, more of, uh, more of it was in bullpens over quarantine. I was just throwing a little bit harder in my bullpens than I normally was. And I was like, okay, I'm onto something. I, I really want to get into some games and see some action because I, my arm feels good. My body feels good. And having no season would, uh, not, I didn't think would be good for me. Um, and it was really my, uh, my wife that, uh, 
convinced me to go play indie ball um, back home because we live in Pennsylvania now. So my wife was like, yeah, you should you should go play. And, and, and I was I really wanted to play as well. So um, just getting any type of game action, I thought would have been good for myself and to see where I was at physically and how how hard I was throwing and how how my pitches were moving. So. Uh, so, yeah, that was really the opportunity where I kind of jumped at. And did it kind of carry over in the alternate side, too, the kind of stuff you showed? And were there things yeah, that yeah, maybe I the saw, Rays tweaked? Yeah, no, the Rays um, kind of just were like, okay, we want you to, to stick with your strengths. We like what we see, and um, we want to just build upon that. And, uh, you know, they said they they noticed the difference in the way I was throwing the ball from years past. So they were really happy with that. So they wanted to just keep uh, keep me uh, doing what I was doing and improving um, in the ways uh, sticking to my strengths. So that was a uh, really fun to jump um, jump on board with them and you know to know that they had my back in what I was doing and um, they supported it and so it just gave me the confidence to go out there um, in the the few games at the alternate site um, to just go out there and pitch with with my stuff. The cutter that you threw, how'd that come about? How's that a change from your other secondary pitches prior? So the cutter that I throw now is more of just the slider I used to throw. Um, there hasn't really been a ton of change with that, but I think just the velocity increase has, has turned it into less of a slider and more of a cutter um, and kind of just a tick up with uh, velo in, in really all of, all four of my pitches. So, um, yeah, the cutter uh, – Worked a little bit with the Rapsodo um, during quarantine and in the off season, just to just to create like a little bit shorter action and not get it as like the sweeping action of a slider and uh, just trying to make a few adjustments here and there. But the velocity uptick with the cutter is more of just the the slider grip, but um, just the overall increase in velo for everything. So, how much of a um... A help was any kind of data that you got. I know the Rays are data-driven. You mentioned using a Rapsodo machine prior to. Um, how much data did was collected, and how much did that help you going into the offseason? Yeah, so um, I was throwing on Rapsodo and TrackMan with the Rays, and um, in quarantine, I was throwing on Rapsodo. Like every bullpen I would throw would be on Rapsodo, just and just trying to uh, track the where I was at and how how everything was moving, and just trying to increase that efficiency of of each pitch. Um, so yeah, that the data really helped uh, kind of back what I was doing, um, like with my mechanics, and give me um, just a little bit of insight on how. I was improving and things that I still needed to work on and kind of give me like a baseline of where I was at. Um, so I was really on board with it and, um, you know, look to use it, utilize it even more in the future. And feedback from hitters themselves, you take a look at, you know, who the Rays had in their um, alternate site. Um, they had some guys with big league experience, but they also had their Uber prospects, whether it's a Wander Franco, Vidal Brujan, etc. Yeah. How much did that help too, just to face, uh, some of those guys and what did you learn about your stuff just from facing those hitters? Yeah, it just, it just gave me the confidence in my own stuff to go out there and, and be able to compete with those guys. Um, you know, the Rays have the, the top minor league um, system and, and those guys go up to the big leagues and compete right away and, you know, compete at a high level. So um, to be able to go out and, and compete against those guys gave me the confidence to know that I can go, you know, up to the big league level and, and get guys out too. So um that was a great experience this summer just to be able to uh, face those guys. 
You mentioned your wife. How much has it meant that kind of support? Because, you know, every guy probably goes through some sort of doubts. I mean, you're a guy who had to really climb. You had to grind through Tommy John and the Yankees organization, got traded, made the big leagues, hit a bit of a rut, had to go the independent ball route, and now hoping to get back. Yeah, she's uh, she's been so supportive of me um, throughout my entire career and um to know that she has me whether uh she has my back whether whether i'm in the big leagues or whether i'm going to any ball to try and keep my career alive um, means the world to me and, and gives me the confidence knowing that um i can go to the field every day and and, and give it everything i have and you know not feel um conflicted at all so um yeah it's it's just been really great you're obviously a pretty bright guy too as i understand you've got you know a very complete eclectic background with music in it too yeah, so uh, my dad is a band director at um, a handful of different grade schools around the Chicago area, and um, he's in a few jazz bands and different quartets. Um, so yeah, we grew up playing the piano, and I played the trumpet. My brothers played the piano and saxophone, and uh, we all grew up playing uh, musical instruments, and um, it was about until freshman year of high school where my dad was like, okay, you can you can focus on, on sports now if you want. And, and all of us did. Uh, so we all gave up music uh, in high school, but um, because we were all passionate about sports, but uh, yeah, we, we had that experience of musical background. Does the rhythm of music ever help with the rhythm on the mound? Maybe subconsciously a little bit. I don't, I'm not like humming any tunes or singing any songs in between pitches, but it definitely helps with, uh, you know, rhythm and timing. Um, Cause there's a, there's a flow to pitching. There's a flow to the game um, that um, yeah, I think music, uh, music does, you know, can have a part in that. And obviously your confidence level, I would assume would be higher than it's been in a while. What, what types of things are you focusing on and how excited are you for 2021? Oh, I'm I'm stoked for 2021, especially seeing how the Rays uh, went about uh, the postseason and just you know had a really really great run there. And uh, I'm excited for what 21 or yeah what 2021 has to offer and uh, hoping to contribute with the team. For me uh, internally, I'm focused on just improving myself. Like I learned through um, just some some mental skills training of just having kind of like a growth mindset and uh, knowing that not being stuck in your ways or uh, just to improve things, to improve yourself uh, is, is an important thing. And I've, you know, seen, seen a little bit of that um, come to life a little bit over the past year, but having that growth mindset really helps me attack each day and, and really get, get better and get better at my craft. Well, continue to grow and uh, Dietrich, we appreciate some time. Hopefully we'll get a chance to see you uh, in person in uh, 2021 is uh you know, hopefully things continue to improve on the COVID front. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for having me. And um, I'm really excited to get down to, uh, to Florida for spring training. And, you know, yeah, hoping, hoping well we can have a healthy, uh, safe year this year. Really unique stuff from Dietrich Enns. You can check it out on our blog, raceradio.moblogs.com. I wrote a blog about that. Um, and certainly we write a lot during the course of the off season and the regular season about what the Rays are doing um, on a number of fronts. Speaking of a lot of good, Ray Xavier, race prospect Xavier Edwards is doing a lot of good right now um, in the community. And he's got a big clinic coming up during the holidays, and I chatted with him a little bit about that. It means a lot, um, just being able to give back. You know, a lot of people, including myself, you know, this year has been a 
an interesting year for everyone and it hasn't been uh, as normal as it usually be would be and I know for a lot of families, you know, people have been laid off and things like that. So, you know, Christmas time of the year might not be what it usually is for a lot of kids and families out there. So I think it's, you know, kind of just my duty to, to help give back and, you know, be a bright spot for a lot of these kids and families by offering uh, this free camp and, you know, just a lot of insight and a lot of good times for these kids. So give us an idea of the camp itself, how many kids you're expecting to be there, who's going to help you put it together, and, and what types of things you're going to be doing for the kids. Um, I'm going to have about 80 to 85 kids there. I'm going to have about 20 counselors ranging from college guys that I know from my area to major league guys. So professionally, I've got myself, Mark Vientos, Justin Connell, Tristan Cassis, uh, Mac Lemieux, James Marinan, Tristan McKenzie, Anthony Siegler, Nick Northcutt, and a couple others. I, on the big league side, yeah, Tristan McKenzie, like I said before, uh, with the Indians, Tupi Toussaint, uh, former big leaguer Reggie Jefferson is going to be helping out. And I've got some college guys from uh, UNC and Vandy and uh, Chipola, so... I've got guys kind of from all ranges of baseball. So for the kids that, you know, if their dream is to play in the major leagues, if it's to play professionally, if it's to play at a high college, you know, if that's all their dreams, I think they'll have a lot of instructors from all those levels that can help them get there. There are a lot of guys, Xavier, who probably would say, I'll do this kind of stuff when I get to the big leagues and I've established myself. I think it's awesome that you're doing it before you've gotten to that point. What inspired you to do something like this? Honestly, it's my, my dad, for the most part, is the one that inspired me. Both of my parents have uh, helped me out a lot just in my, entire, in my entire life. Uh, I wouldn't be where I am without my parents and uh, the stuff that they sacrificed. I know it's the same way for a lot of other kids and, and their parents. So uh, my parents are really the ones that kind of planted the seed. Because, yeah, like you said, a lot of guys wait till they're established in the big leagues. But um, I just felt like you know, I didn't need to wait to get to the ability to, to make a difference in where I live at. You know, maybe on a on a bigger scale, you know, if I, if I want hundreds of kids to come and that kind of thing, you know, maybe waiting to, to get to the abilities would have been a, a better route. But for me in my area, you know, I feel like I could help out a lot of families and just a lot of kids. And, you know, there's kids that, that know me from around here. And, you know, that, that was enough for me just to being able to help out somebody and to, you know, make their, their time better and to, teach your kids some good information and, you know, let them have a time that they enjoy going to the field for, for a few days and get to be around some guys that they might have looked up to or that they saw playing on TV or playing in high school. You know, that's that's something that it's, it's priceless. How important is it for young kids of color to see you and others as an example through this? Um, you know, that's what, I feel like that's what it's all about. I mean, just just leading by example, being a good example for, um, you know, the younger generation. And, it's, and for the same thing, that it, does, it does great wonders for them. It does the same thing for me because I love being able to see, you know, that next wave of talent coming out of South Florida, minorities or not. I just, I love seeing good baseball players and guys that love playing the game. And it's honestly surprising how young these kids are, but how good and skilled a lot of these kids are. And, uh, you know, it's, it's special for me to see on on the opposite side. Like I'm looking at them like, wow, you guys are, some of you guys are just as talented as I was, if not more talented when I was your age. And you guys 
have the same fire and desire to play this game at a high level that I had at your same age. And it's so like refreshing to see, like, you know, maybe baseball, it's not, it's not just a business, you know, it really is a game. And yeah, I'm fortunate enough to play as, as a job, but I remember when it was, I was eight, nine, 10 years old going out there playing with my team and having a blast. So, you know, it's, it just puts, you know, it puts everything in perspective. You mentioned, you know, the, the example that, you know, you can be for others, but, and you said your parents were a great example for you, but from a baseball side, were there examples that you saw on the field when you were young playing and said, I want to be like him? And if so, who? Um, on a baseball field, you know, I, I usually, you know, everyone has a, your favorite big league player. You know, I like Jimmy Rollins. I like Derek Jeter. Like, those are probably guys that I, I looked up to. But I feel like for for myself and my game, I kind of try to be just myself, you know, because you know, everyone's built differently. Everyone's, you know, got different talents, different strengths and, and weaknesses and, and that kind of thing. So uh, it was big for me to you not really try to be anyone else, but just try to be the best version of myself. So from, you know, as a little kid, I, I loved watching Derek Jeter play. I loved watching Jimmy Rollins play, especially because, you know, they're both middle infielders, but particularly Jimmy, he was a smaller guy and similar to my build and stature and, uh, you know, switch hit, played good middle infield. So that's somebody I feel like my skill level could match up with. But uh, as far as my game, you know, I kind of just tried to stick to, to stick to being as good as I can be. What did you learn in both the alternate site and then instructional league that has kind of carried over to your off season? Uh, the biggest thing is honestly, like I, I miss baseball a lot. I miss the <laughs> season a lot. That and uh, just reps, how how important reps are. It, it kind of just put it on a perspective because. At alternate site, you know, there's a lot of guys, and the caliber of guys that we had at the alternate site was outstanding. I'm sure it was the best in baseball, the guys that we had at alternate site. And, uh, you know, just getting to face those guys every day or every few days, you know, the reps that you're getting is so important. But it kind of just puts in perspective that you, you know, you might, you're probably not as good as you think you are. You know, it humbles you because you see all these guys are such good pitchers and, and players around you, you know, it just pushes you to be better. So I think that's something that just continues to motivate you and push you along the way. There's a lot of good players out there and that you got to keep getting better. So especially after such time off, it was good to have that competitive edge back and to be competing with other guys and, you know, competing against guys, even, you know, unlike a normal year, we got your competing against guys that are wearing your own uniform mm-hmm. every day. And you're not seeing anyone that's wearing other uniforms. So are you that a tra- was a different aspect. Are you a trash talk guy with with your uh, your own teammates? And was there a lot of bragging rights going on, whether it was instructional league or alternate side on on who got to who? Uh, no, not so much. It was a pretty uh, it was a friendly environment. Um, some guys would talk a little bit, but I think they you know know each other on a personal level a little better than I knew some of the guys. But uh, yeah, not a lot of trash talk. We were kind of just going out there and taking care of our business and you know putting our time in well while the big league season was going on. You mentioned how humbling just that whole experience can be. How has it kind of changed, if at all, your off-season routine? I saw some video on MLB Network, and, and it looks like you're putting some really good hard work in. Uh, yeah, you know, back to what I said before, just about, like, you know, you've never arrived. You're, you're, never, you're never good enough because everyone's out there working. And it's, it was good to see for me because I'm one of the younger guys. 
-hmm. And a lot of the guys at our alternate site, you know, were, you know, 24, 23, 24, 25 years old. And they're all a lot older than I am. And they play at a higher levels than I am. I've played at so far. So, you know, it just kind of pushes you to, to get to that next level. Like, I want to get there in the next year or two, half a year, like whatever it may be. So it just pushes you when you see the guys and you see how they work and like what more mature approaches to the game are like and what their work ethic is like, you know what it takes to to keep progressing and you ultimately make it to the big leagues and stay there for a long time. And you ultimately want to get better in every way possible, but what are some of the things you're doing to get, you know, are you looking to put on weight? Are you looking at a particular, you know, speed improvement in certain areas? What are the kind of things that you're focusing on with your off-season routine? Mostly I'm, I'm working out, maintaining uh, my, you know, my weight, uh, working on my speed. I, saw, I don't know if you saw the video, but the video mm -hmm. is me running up a hill with the sled. So just trying to maintain my speed and, you know, gain speed for the upcoming season, you know, get more stolen bases. Working on my arm strength, you know, if I'm called upon to play second, short, even third, like whatever it may be, that I'm ready and prepared and I'm over-prepared to play those positions and I don't feel like I'm out of place. So working on my arm strength and working on making my swing just as consistent as possible to keep my hit tool there and also, you know, add a little extra base power. So, I mean, I'm kind of working on all fats in my game right now. Well, it's great to, to see and, and hear about the work you're doing, um, getting ready for next year, but more so, you know, I think the community stuff you're doing, I hope you, I hope the, the event goes really well on the 28th and 29th and congrats on what you're doing. And I hope you and your family enjoy the holidays. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Same to you and your family. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas. Really good stuff from Xavier Edwards. Uh, great to speak with him and also Dietrich Enns and Rays Vice President Carlos Rodriguez. Of course, as other things develop during the course of the race offseason, you can find out about it on our blog, raceradio.moblogs.com. We may or may not have another podcast before the holidays. But uh, regardless, I hope you're having a wonderful holiday season, and we will chat with you soon.